0: thanks for being here guys thanks for getting here it's cold but it's good that you're here and i really enjoy the fellowship and so thanks again for coming just a blessing again that the elders see so many guys who want to get here and care for each other and care for themselves that's why we're here let's pray we'll get started father thank you so much for the fellowship of the body that you've given to us lord it's so important for us to remember that we have this fellowship because you saved us into this body lord we don't belong here on ourselves and on our own but you brought us here by your grace thank you for your son that you sent into this world to be an atoning sacrifice for all of those who would put their confidence and their trust in him lord i pray that your son would be at the front of our mind and our hearts this morning that we would think well about ourselves and about what you have done for us through him lord i pray that Everything that we do today would be for your glory. I pray for those that are not here with us this morning, or that can't be here. I pray that they would be well. I pray that they would meet with you in your word and in prayer. And they would walk in the works that you have prepared for them this day. Lord, we give all of this to you for your son's name. We pray in his name. Amen. Okay. If you have this, take this out. We're going to use this as our guide. Um, These are the, the six disciplines that we try to... Go through each time we meet together and build. And today, what I want to talk about is how each one of these disciplines relates to worship. And again, I think we all know, but worship is not just what we do when we're standing and singing over in the gym. Worship is what we do throughout our day, throughout our week, and how we interact with the Lord throughout our week. So um, our first discipline is the heart. And when we When we meet together with the Lord and we're taking care of our heart and we're addressing our heart, um, we can do this to say that we're fulfilling our reading schedule. We can do this to say that we're praying for the people that we said we would pray for. We can do this to say that we're confessing the sin that we know we need to uh, confess. Or we can do this as a form of worship to the Lord because he's worthy of all of our affections. He's worthy of our devotion. He is worthy of us. Um, confessing our sin to him and seeking his grace and walking in repentance. When we read our Bibles, when we're shepherding our heart, we can read our Bibles to say that we're following our reading plan, or we can read our Bibles to say, Lord, I know that you're revealing yourself in Scripture. So as I'm reading, would you please allow me to read in a way that's worshipful to you, that, that sees what I'm reading and understands what I'm reading and has a proper response to what I'm reading. And in that way when we shepherd our heart, we want to be doing that in a way that is worshipful to the Lord. Then we step into our home after we've shepherded our heart and we can again take care of all the responsibilities that we need to to say that we're taking care of those responsibilities or we can do those as an act of worship to the Lord. If you're married, when you interact with your wife and talk with your wife, you can do so to say that you're being a husband who's leading her or you can do so as an act of worship to the lord to say lord i want to put you on display as i build this marriage together this marriage has come a long way it's got a ways to go and i want to lead my wife well as an act of worship to you when we have kids in our home and our kids need help they need encouragement from us they need correction from us they need guidance from us we can do that as an act of worship to say lord you have entrusted these kids to me and by your grace i want to worshipfully teach them i want to worshipfully lead them i want to do this as an act of worship to you so all of the affection and all of the devotion is to you in this when we step into this church and we're serving here whether we serve and set up and tear down or whether we hold babies like i do in the nursery um We have the opportunity to do that as a form of worship to the Lord, that when parents come and they drop off their kids and they head into the worship service, um, it is worshipful on my part to serve them by giving them every reason to be confident and comfortable with our care for their kids, and to do that as an act of worship to the Lord. When you stack chairs in the gym after the service, um, we need that done. We can do that because we need that done, or we can do that as an act of worship to the Lord, because he he gave us the privilege of meeting with him together. So when we think of our ministries, we think of stepping into small group. If you're with guys, you're talking to them about the core questions. Um, You can ask core questions in a dry academic sense. Tell me how your reading plan is going. Tell me what you're praying about. Or you can care for men as an act of worship to the Lord say, Lord, you've You've given me an opportunity to speak with guys. You've given all of us an opportunity to interact together. And I want to worship you as I care well for the guys that are with me. So whatever it is in our ministry opportunities, we want to think about how we do that as an act of worship to the Lord. Our fourth discipline is is, um, the qualifications for deacon. And again, this is an area where we have a great opportunity to do this as an act of worship to the Lord first timothy chapter 3 verses 8 through 13 outline those qualifications for us we have an opportunity to be a man who is of dignity to be a dignified man and we can run at two different aims if we have one aim to do so in a way that is worshipful and pleasing to the lord that is truly a dignified man um, if we want to be a dignified man just so we can say that we're a dignified man that is a completely different objective and is god glorifying to do so and pursue dignity as a form of worship to him and all the other qualifications are the same way when we use our tongue and we use our speech we can be committed to having one message in the way we talk as a form of worship to the lord so that the brothers and the sisters that we're talking with can see and hear from us one message and they can be blessed by hearing the same thing from us at all times they don't have to factor in what context they are hearing it in To wonder whether or not they're hearing the same message from us and the list goes on as it relates to our use of alcohol if you use alcohol you can use it in the form of worship to the lord you can use it thankfully you can use it gratefully you can use it with moderation and with joy and with happiness you can do that out of worship to the lord so there are many many opportunities as you look at the deacon qualifications there's a section in the deacon qualifications that talks about how our wives character must be And we can be men who who shepherd and lead our wives in those disciplines and in those qualifications in a way that is worshipful to the Lord, in a way that wants to put your marriage on display to those around you so that the world can see God's grace in our marriages. The fifth discipline is the hermeneutic. Here is another really good opportunity for worship to the Lord. Every man in this room, every man in this body um, has the opportunity and has the responsibility to grow themselves and continually sharpen themselves theologically, hermeneutically, in their study of the Word. We have the opportunity to do that as a form of worship, but that as we pursue a better understanding of church history, as we pursue a better understanding of how to read the Bible, and how to understand how to read the Old Testament and bring that forward into the New Testament, we can do that as a form of worship to the Lord, or we can do it in some way that's, that's other than that, in a way that draws attention to ourselves rather than to the Lord. There's nothing more harmful to the, to the church and to the body of Christ than a group of people who don't know how to use the vast wealth of understanding that's in Scripture. They use it in, in forms that's destructive to the body. They use it in, in ways that bring tension and bring dissension within the body. When a man is, is guided by his pursuit of the Lord and his understanding of God's Word, as a form of worship to the Lord. None of that is in place. What is in place is God has put on display and we understand better how to care for one another in the body. And the last discipline is is the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church. We want to draw people in, we want to build them up, and we want to send them out. And our purpose in all of that is so that we can worship the God that saved us and give other people the opportunity to do the same thing. And the way that we do that is we, we put the glory of God on display. We worship God for all of his glory and who he is because we know that one day when we breathe our last and we will be in his presence forever, that's all we will ever do is worship him. We want to worship Christ because of the cross that he died on for us and what he did at that cross. We want to make much of that and so people can see that. We want to rejoice and live worshipfully as our lives are indwelled by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So in all of that, the body can see one another truly putting the focus where it belongs, and that is on God. So this morning, as we consider the six disciplines, let's um, consider how we can do that as a form of worship. Lord. Okay.
1: We're on January 24th. Today, we're going to be back talking about the discipline of uh, ab- dis- uh, Discipline number one on your heart, shepherding your heart. So we're going to learn a little bit more about what God says in his word about the heart so that we can be um, better shepherds of our hearts. Then we're going to, uh, in February, step into the ministry. Discipline number three, that'll be the first time that we hit that. And we'll look at the Apostle Paul's ministry among the Thessalonians when he was with them. Uh, we'll kind of step back into the heart again. You'll see that we just keep coming back to the heart. We'll hit the ministry again in March, uh, the heart again in March, and then we'll finish the year looking at the, the qualifications, uh, for deacons. And then I'm also this year going to look at the qualification for elders. Uh, I want to just run through those with you so that you understand what those are, um, so that you can be aiming for those, um, you know, prayerfully in your life, entrusting uh, your life to the Lord, that if he would qualify you, um, that would be great. Those are, those are, by the way, you know that all of those character qualifications that are in there, um, you will find them elsewhere in the New Testament for every believer. So what God calls a man to be as a deacon or as an elder um, isn't like he's got, you know, certain qualities of life that you, that other men don't have. The difference is, is he's exemplary in those qualities um, where uh, other believers may not be yet. Um, So we'll look at those, and then we'll finish the year um, on the hermeneutic, which is part of my favorite time, where we'll just talk about how do we want to interpret the Bible? How do do we want to do that at Grace Bible Church? How do we want to encourage you to interpret the Bible? We'll take that in two sessions together. And that kind of then... um, gives you a little teaser for what h3 is all about if you've done build well um we want to recommend you to go on to h3 um and in h3 you'll spend a lot of time uh, working on a passage all year long with smed he'll walk you through that he'll hold your hand if you need to have your hand held uh if if you're scared of some grammar stuff um You don't need to be. Uh, Smed will be your friend and your defender and your protector and all of that and help you figure that all out. How many of you guys here have done H3 before? See, um, H3 and build are something that you can just kind of keep coming back to if you want to. Uh, Those are just really helpful things to strengthen you. So there's your calendar to take a look at. Um, if I can have you then also look at your homework for next time, the blue sheet that is, was a paperclip to your, your worksheet today. I just wanna give you a heads up on that a little bit. Um, on the looking back part, I'm, I'm making you look back not to what you are what we're gonna to cover today, but I'm making you look back at what Tom covered two weeks ago. Um, I just wanted to give you a chance to maybe jot a few things down there. We talked a little bit about that in, in our uh, discussion group this morning. But I want you to be able to look back at what Tom talked about in regards to uh, marriage, um, the home, and discipline too, and let you reflect on that a little bit. Uh, if you turn over on the back side of your homework sheet, on the blue sheet, um, this assignment might take you a little bit longer um, than some of the normal... Uh, Homework that you've had. I'm going to have you be in in a few different Old Testament or a couple different Old Testament passages and then a New Testament passage. So you're going to have to read a little bit more, but I think you're going to really be uh, uh, encouraged and helped, um, probably convicted a little bit about grumbling and complaining, uh, taking a look at watching the Israelites do that and what uh, is revealed there and what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 about these things happen so they might be an example to us who believes? so uh, we'll take a look at that next time. So just save yourself a little bit, maybe a little bit more time for your homework for next time. Uh, if you if you save it for Friday nights before February 7th, it, it could be a later night or something like that. All right, so let's talk about your... Uh, you get your worksheet out for the troubling and comforting truths and also get out your, your uh, card here. We're going to go through that, but not until... We have prayed and asked God for help as we look at his word. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do ask for your help as we look at your word. Um, Lord, we want to have, just as Scott reminded us earlier, we want to be um, worshipful men as your word is open. We want to um, not just know what words mean and um, assemble our system of theology from your word, although that is helpful. But most of all, above all, primarily, we want to draw near to you, to know you as your Bible is open before us. So would you please help us? Would you soften our hearts? Would you give us fullness of your spirit um, that we might, that he might illumine um, your word for us in our hearts, (laughs) that we might draw nearer to you and know you better, love you more faithfully, obey you more diligently fear you more purely Uh, so God we humble ourselves before you as we draw near to you now and it's in Jesus name we pray amen all right here's your review over your card if you open it up to the middle remember what we're basically doing here is we're looking at three different conditions of man Um, we're looking at what you were before Christ saved you that's over on the left hand side of your card right Um, that's the unregenerate man And you have all kinds of uh, descriptions there. We we call that, and if you look at it, even the color of of that uh, figure up there at the top is is to be helpful. It's primarily an unmixed condition. It is an unmixed condition. Uh, It's a a condition of unmixed in sin. All you can find in this man, who you were before Christ, is depravity, is sin. Total depravity. Entire depravity. There is not a part... Excuse me, there's not a part of you that is not unmixed in that condition. It's not like there's you know, parts of you over on this side that are okay. There's some good things in you, and, and then there's this other part over here where, where, where it's all bad. No, every faculty, every thought, every, every desire, every deed you do is completely laced through and through with sin. It's an unmixed condition. Um, If you look at the key descriptions of this condition, uh, we'll just remind ourselves of them. It's an unmixed condition. In that condition, you are unable not to sin. You can't stop sinning. It's just who you are. It's all you can do um, in that condition without Jesus. Therefore, there is no fight within you. There's no struggle within you. There's no struggle against sin. And there's no fight for Jesus. Okay, in that condition. Uh, In that condition, you are dominated by sin. You are enslaved to sin. It is your master in that condition. And sin rules all of your faculties, your thoughts, your emotions, your motives, your actions. And in that condition, there is no desire, there is no thought to shepherd your heart away from sin and to God. So in other words, discipline one does not exist over here that a man would discipline himself to take care of his heart and bring it to God's word and bring it to God and try to move his inner man away from sin does not exist um, for this person. Um, And this person is under God's wrath and judgment. What must God do to save that man? That's what you find down here is the regeneration event. And it's an event. Regeneration is not a process that takes place over time in your life, getting worked on a little bit by a little bit. No, it's like birth. It's it's a new birth. And that's an event. It happens. And it happens to you. And there are uh, it happens through the preaching of the gospel. So we have uh, gospel summaries over there on the bottom left. Um, adoption through propitiation. Propitiation is the satisfaction of God's wrath. And God adopts you through satisfying his wrath. Um It's penal substitutionary atonement. That's what the gospel is. A penalty is paid by an innocent substitute who is Jesus so that he might atone for your sin and take your sin out of God's sight. Um, That is what was proclaimed Uh, on the basis of that is repentance and faith. Uh, It was what you're called to. And there are components within that regeneration event. Uh, It's called the new birth or new life or a new creation. Uh, You are positionally sanctified. You are once and for all set apart as holy in God's sight. (laughs) Justification has come. You are declared righteous in this. It's an event. What God does for you on the basis of faith alone. Uh, Imputation takes place. That means um, Christ's righteousness is imputed to you. And your sin is imputed to Christ at the cross. That is an event. It is not a process. Um, Adoption is an event. In your life, it does not become a process. Union with Christ is an event component. Expiation takes place in a moment where your sin is removed out of the sight of a holy God. Propitiation, uh, God's wrath against you has been satisfied in a moment in regeneration. Redemption, where you are bought with Jesus' blood is an event component. Reconciliation, you've been reconciled with, with God, you are at peace with Him. Forgiveness takes place. And another key event is this old man has been crucified. Who is the old man? This condition has been crucified with Christ and it is no longer alive. Old things have passed away and never to come get you again. This condition, when God saves you through this regeneration event, that condition can never come back and get you. What can't come back and get you? Where you are in an unmixed condition. That will never come back. Where you are unable to not sin, that will never come back. Where there is now no fight within you, that will never be what you're characterized entirely by anymore. You will no longer be a slave to sin. You cannot be. That's what Jesus did when he came to save you, was to free you from slavery to sin. Um, Where sin rules all of your faculties, you cannot go back to that condition. Now, what the new creation is, through this regeneration that creates a new man now that new man is not the person you will be in heaven right now we've talked about this it would be it would have been my plan that when i was here if i were to to, um, uh, design salvation i would have gone just from here to where just go right to this where you go from being a complete and entire, uh, in, in an unmixed condition in sin. I would just like to save somebody and make them, and myself primarily, now unmixed in righteousness. Where there's no influence of sin anymore upon me. I would like that. That is not what God saved you to. This is not uh, the new creation. The new creation is bigger than this. The new creation includes now a mixed condition. That's what this... uh, this is what the Christian life is about. You went from an unmixed in sin to a mixed condition. That's the new man. The new man includes a mixed condition. Okay, so the heart has now within it Jesus, the spirit, um, and sin still. Okay, so the things you experienced over here, that sin brought to your life, do you still experience sin? That influence here? Yes. But are you a slave to that sin anymore? No. Because the regeneration event broke that, made you into somebody new who now has a whole different set of key descriptions. Look at the key descriptions of this new condition. It is a mixed condition. You now are able not to sin. You are. In Christ, by His Spirit, with His Word. In fellowship with the body of Christ, you are able not to sin. Okay? Um, There is now a fight within you. There was not a fight within you before. Now you can fight against sin, and you can fight for Jesus. Meaning to gain more of him, to apprehend him more. You are now enslaved to God. This is what Romans 6 is all about. You went from slavery to slavery. You went from being a slave to sin to being now a slave of God in Christ. Um, You're a slave to righteousness. You're a slave to obedience. Those are from Romans 6. Residual sin and regeneration are evident in all of your faculties. So that's the mixed condition. So in your thought processes, the way that you think, there's a mixed condition. There is residual sin and regeneration working in your thoughts. Both at the same time. You... Let me let me clarify what this doesn't mean. By saying that your thought life is mixed, it doesn't mean on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays it is entirely pure. But on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, uh, it's it's a little mixed. We don't mean that. That means every single thought that you've ever had is mixed. You cannot escape that mixed condition right now. Um, you may to the best of your ability, believe that you have a pure motive. The only people who have entirely pure motives are which people? The dead ones. (laughs) Because there's no more sin in them, right? So in the meantime, do you strive for purity of motive? Do you strive for purity of thought? Do you fight for that? Yes, you do. And then you humbly say to others, to the best that I can tell, It was a pure motive. But at the end of the day, I know there is no such thing as an entirely pure motive for me. I'm influenced somehow. I just can't see it. I don't know. I'm easily deceived by sin and can't see it, even when it's right in front of me. Um, So residual sin and regeneration are evident in every single one of your faculties. Every conversation, every thought, every emotion, every action you do. And you are in this condition, you are able to shepherd your heart away from sin to God. You are now. This is what BUILD is all about, is helping you to learn how to shepherd yourself away from sin and towards Christ. And in this condition, uh, you are no longer under God's wrath or judgment. Now, as, is this condition right here, it, standing where you are today, if you were to turn around and look back to what you were without Christ, is this better? Oh, it is I don't even know how to, what word do you, what adjective do you give this is so much better than what this is than what you were right now as you stand and you think about what's to come is this better no and this is why you long for seeing christ face to face because then you will be revealed for what you truly are in christ what he has done um, so, in this heavenly man condition, here are the key descriptions. You are back to an unmixed condition, but it is an unmixed in holiness, unmixed in righteousness condition. Uh, so, unmixed, mixed, unmixed, right? Okay? Uh, you are in this condition over here. You are unable to sin. You will not be able to sin anymore. Okay? Um, You are unable to displease God. You will only be pleasing to God all of the time in everything you think, every motive you have, every emotion you express, every deed you do. You will only ever be pleasing to the Lord then, right? You are perfectly enslaved to God. Here your slavery uh, is mixed, but you're, you're enslaved still to God. Perfect righteousness in all of your faculties. No need to shepherd your heart away from sin to God, and you are enveloped in God's joy there okay so i I want to review that with you a little bit because where we get mixed up is when we bring one of the things from the old into what we presently are or if we confuse things about uh, who we will be and we bring them into what we are now Um, that's where most of our errors are in our sanctification Um, so we're going to talk through that a little bit more here as we Work through some troubling and comforting truths. So let's start with Ephesians chapter 4. Will you turn to Ephesians chapter 4? And I will give you your first blank to fill in. What keeps the sinner from God is hardness of heart. Now, these three troubling truths that I'm going to give you, they certainly address the unbeliever, they characterize the unbeliever's heart. That unregenerate man over on the left hand side of that card okay for you that these three troubling truths describe that person's inner man that heart um but because there is still indwelling sin in me and indwelling sin in you these can also have characteristics within you as a believer So we'll talk about that as we go. But what keeps the sinner from God is hardness of heart. Here's the the passage we're looking at, Ephesians 4, verse 17. Paul says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart and they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greed there it is in verse 18 because of the hardness of their heart that describes why believers i'm sorry why unbelievers have a deeply ingrained ignorance what paul is after in verse 17 and 19 is he's telling the ephesians look you can no longer live like the unsaved gentiles and then he describes what they look like. And his main idea is do not walk like they walk. Don't live like they live. How do they live? Well, they, are, they have futility in their minds. Um, what I mean by that is there's darkened understanding, verse 18. What do I mean by that? They're alienated from the very life of God. Why are they that way? Well, because they, they have this ignorance that is in them. Why do they have this ignorance that is in them? Because of their hardness of heart. Hardness of heart is, is, is the, the description of why the unbelievers have this deeply ingrained ignorance within them. This ignorance that they have within them is not an, an accidental ignorance, it's not an ignorance that, that caught them by surprise, like they didn't know they were being ignorant of God. They couldn't say, I didn't see this ignorance of God coming. Um, what, what ignorance in the Bible is for the unbeliever, it is a planned ignorance. It is an intentional ignorance of God. It is a purposeful ignorance of God. It is a willful ignorance of God. I'll give you the illustration that I use each year to describe this. It's like a child who just disobeyed mommy. A little girl, because little boys would never do this. A little girl, just kidding. You know that, right? Um, It is like a child who purposefully will not look into mommy's eyes when she knows that she did something wrong. Okay? Okay. Um, that little one doesn't want to see mommy's face because that little one knows mommy's disappointed and she wants to remain ignorant of that it is a purposeful ignorance you can say look at me you can even grab the little face and write yours but then the eyes are all over the place the eyes I don't want to see your face I want to remain ignorant of how you feel right now mom That is a purposeful, intentional, planned ignorance. Um, And so that is why they want to remain willfully ignorant of God and His will. It's because their hearts are hard. They are dull. They are insensible. Those hearts cannot be penetrated so as to feel or to be moved from um, their current status, their condition of being petrified of heart. Um, That's the way the unbeliever is. Now, let's work our way back even upwards through the verses. Remember that this hardness of heart in verse 18, it's the ultimate cause for why they are so deeply ingrained in that willful, willful ignorance of God, right? And that willful ignorance of God in verse 18 is the cause of them being alienated from the life of God. Why are they excluded from the life of God? Because they're willfully ignorant of him. Okay? And that description uh, uh, is, is what it means to have a reasoning plot process that's flooded with spiritual darkness. Why are they darkened in their understanding or darkened in their reasoning? It's because they're excluded from the very life of God. Why are they excluded from the very life of God? Because they are purposefully ignorant of God. How did they get to be that way? Their hearts are hard. And all of that describes the futility of mind. That they walk in. Okay? So you've got mind mentioned in verse 17. You've got understanding in verse 18. You've got ignorance there. You've got heart mentioned in verse 18. You've got senses and sensuality in verse 19. And all of that is an unmixed condition. The mind and the heart are in complete agreement with one another. And the unsaved man. Okay? Okay. So this is why the unbeliever's mind has failed him and led him to a futile way of thinking which leads to a sinful walk of life. Um, The heart of man, of every single one, is just this way because of Adam's fall. This This is the only kind of man that you can become being born into this world. This is just what you'll become apart from Jesus Christ. It's what you did become apart from Jesus Christ. But God also simultaneously warns man To not participate in the hardening of that heart. All you can do is harden your heart, but God's call, even to that hardened heart one, is don't harden your hearts anymore. Go over to Hebrews chapter 3. Take a look at that passage. This is a quote from Psalm 95. And the writer of Hebrews is bringing Psalm 95 to bear on the church in his day. And he says in chapter 3, verse 8, Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness. That's a reference back to Exodus 17 and following. Chapter 3, verse 15, he says it again today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. In chapter 4, verse 7, he says it one more time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. That's God's call to sinful man at any point. To all men, don't participate, don't accentuate, don't accelerate um, the hardness of heart that is going on. At the hearing of God's voice in the call of the gospel, what you are calling people to, you're calling the sinner to stop hardening his heart. But believer, this is where you and I have to be really careful. You need to be aware that you still, because of indwelling sin in you, you have the ability to harden your heart. Um, Remember, before Christ, all you could do without Christ was just to be entirely hardened in heart. And then one day in heaven, all you will have is a heart that is what? Soft. But now in Christ, you're in a mixed condition in which you must fight against the hardening of your heart and you must fight to soften your heart. Um, So like we appeal to the sinner in the preaching of the gospel to stop hardening his heart. So we appeal to one another through the word of God to refrain from hardening your heart. Verse 12, take care, brethren, of Hebrews 3. Take care that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Guys, watch each other. Watch your own hearts. Help each other. Make sure there's not one of these kinds of hearts that will harden itself. So. This is a troubling truth for my heart that what keeps the sinner from God is hardness of heart. And it still plagues me, even as a believer. I'm not enslaved to hardness of heart, but I'm still influenced by it. And so are you in Christ. Number two, whenever possible, unbelief will naturally take root in the heart, not belief. Whenever possible, in your inner man, unbelief will naturally take root, not belief. If you do nothing and you don't care for your inner man, your, your heart, you will not find that it just on its own just thrives to believe in God, to trust in Him in every situation. Naturally, even in this mixed condition, your heart will naturally be inclined towards disbelief. Okay, let's look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Um, I just read it to you there. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Um, What the author of the Hebrews is addressing with the church Uh, was what he he thought was the similar type of thing of what Israel was going through. They were continually hardening their hearts throughout their history. He saw these professed believers together, uh, and he was concerned that what they were doing was the same thing that was happening in the Old Testament. So the church must also labor to root out this natural inclination that is just there to not trust in God. It's a natural inclination Within us to just not trust in God. Here's the stark reality. Because of indwelling sins, lingering effects within us, if you do nothing with your heart, men, if you don't shepherd your heart with the word of God and with the gospel, will your heart rush into believing God? I'm not talking about believing to be saved. You're already saved. But will your heart naturally rush into trusting God if you do nothing with your heart? The answer is no. Rather, it will slide easily into disbelief. Look, have you ever, is that your experience? Don't take care of yourself very well. Don't, don't take care of your heart and your mind very well. And, and find yourself, do you find yourself just naturally trusting in the Lord for everything? I mean, it is interesting to watch what happens to you when you don't do that, when you don't care well for your soul. Go back to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Jesus, this is resurrected Jesus. He's been walking with a couple of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile journey. And he has disguised himself from them. They don't recognize him, that he is the resurrected Jesus. And they are bummed because, well, Jesus is dead. And yeah, there are some guys who said, some of us who said they saw him, that his tomb is empty. But we are really hoping that he was the king and he was going to do all that we thought he was going to do. And so he finally says to them, oh, foolish men, verse 25. Foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Later, when they finally realized who it was, when they get to Emmaus, verse 32, and uh, their eyes are opened, they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? The disciples of Jesus here had hearts that were not quick to trust. They were slow of heart to believe. They weren't quick to believe. They were were slow to believe the Christ-centered scriptures, the Christ-revealing scriptures, everything that they had just eyewitnessed. What had they just eyewitnessed? A suffering Messiah, a substitute dying in the place of others. And it didn't cross their mind to rush quickly to believe that. But that was actually what was taking place. Blood was being shed. And it wasn't registering within them for what it truly was. Their hearts were not quick to tie what they saw in his suffering back to what the scriptures revealed about Messiah's suffering. Their hearts were slow to believe that. These are disciples of Jesus. They weren't quick to believe that. Therefore, their hearts were not quick to believe, but slow to believe. So the resurrected Christ had to work. The resurrected Christ had work to do in these disciples. He had to help them uh, root out that unbelief. He had to help them labor against that natural slowness of heart that day. Um, Slowness of heart to believe is a condition that you will face because of indwelling sin in your life still Um, where you find sin in your life you will find it slowly dragging your heart away from trusting in god in whatever situation you're in if you allow sin to persist sin only knows to do one thing in regards to trust in your life it will drag you away from trusting god so that it makes you slow to believe okay And that's a troubling truth for my heart and any heart. Thirdly, self-made religion never moves the heart nearer to God. Self-made religion never moves the heart nearer to God. Let's go back to Matthew 15, verses 7 to 8 primarily. But we'll read uh, verses 1 and 9 to get the context. So let's take this man, this unregenerate man. He... uh, he, he finds out uh, that he has hardness of heart that's keeping him from God per se. Uh, he's been told that um, and he accepts that at face value uh, at a certain level. And he understands that um, unbelief uh, it has taken root in his heart. He accepts that to some belief. Suppose it crosses that unbeliever's mind. You know what I need to do? I need to get me some religion. That's what I need to do. I need to be a religious person. Um, let's see what happens when you add religion to somebody whose heart is not changed verse one of chapter 15 Matthew 15 verse one then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread and he answered and said to them why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition I love it this is the, the way of Jesus is just fantastic they come at him, they think they've got the question to nail him. And his question that he answers, he doesn't, he doesn't answer the question. doesn't give their question the time of day, really. Um, and he comes back with, with, a, with a, a question that just pins them to the map. And then he explains why. For God has said, honor your father and mother, but he who speaks evil of father and mother and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. In other words, what was happening culturally at that time was if, a, if your elderly parents were in need, um, the way that the Pharisees and the scribes got around giving their resources to their parents because they didn't want to, the way they got around it was by saying, oh, yeah, that bank account that you know of, um, I would love to give that to you, Dad. But actually, I've set that aside for the Lord, and I'm going to use it for the Lord, so I can't give it to you. It's been given to God, even though I possess it. You can't have it because it's Corbin. It's been given to God. That's what they were doing. And he says, thus... I don't have to honor you in this way. That's the way they they excuse themselves. And he says, You have invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, verse 7, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So suppose it crosses their mind to be religious. Uh, Perhaps those religious men hope that God will look at their teaching, their doctrines that they've come up with, their good deeds, their traditions, and perhaps God will be moved to set aside his teachings, his doctrines, because they've already set aside his, and they are confident in what they have come up with as traditions. These are good things that we've come up with. Uh, They're confident in them. They were innovative in coming up with them. They appear to be very, very religious. They've devoted things over to God that they can't give to their parents. But God's assessment of them is that even though they are religious, that they brought a religious practice upon them, what does he say about their hearts? Their hearts are far from God, verse 8. So you can take religious practice and add it to that kind of a heart, And all you get are lips that move, that sound like they've just been in the presence of God, but the inner man is far, far away from God. That's a troubling truth. Self-made religion never moves the heart nearer to God. So let's summarize these three troubling truths. Number one, hardness of heart keeps the sinner from God. Or to put it another way, number two, the heart will just fall into unbelief naturally, like putting an ice cube at the top of a hot metal slide in Arizona in July. It's only going to go one way, right? It's going to be sizzling by the time it hits the bottom. That's the only thing an unbelieving heart knows to do is just continue to unbelieve. It just naturally falls in that direction. But three, suppose it crosses the sinner's mind to become religious, to add religion to that life. Suppose the sinner on his own, apart from God, wants God to accept his his version of religion over God's commands. Yeah, 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 God, I know you've got these commands, but I've come up with some on my own. What do you think? God says, well, your lips sound like you've been in my presence, but your heart is far from me. So then what is the sinner's hope? If he can't do anything religiously himself, um, his only hope, obviously, is what you know to be your only hope, and that is God. Um, a God who's motivated to act on the basis, not of what he sees in you, but he's motivated to act on the basis of his own compassion and his own love. That's our only hope, It's for that God to save sinners. Um, now I want you to think about what happens to these conditions at conversion when God does save you, um, hardness of heart keeps you from God. Um, we could say as an unbeliever, you were enslaved to hardness of heart. When God saves you and you are born again, um, you are a new person who is now no longer enslaved to hardness of heart, but you are still influenced and harassed by hardness of heart. And now the fight begins against hardness of heart. It can begin. You can fight against it. Um, That's the difference. There's only one person who is not fighting against the hardness of heart, and that is the believer who has died and, and is with Jesus. Okay, That's not you today. But you are not what you used to be in that you were a slave to hardness of heart. Do you understand the difference? So you can really mess yourself up and be completely and totally discouraged because you think you shouldn't be still struggling with hardness of heart. Because maybe in your mind you put an expectation that what scripture says is that you should be no longer dealing with that as like one who is in heaven. But the reality is, is you are still harassed by it. The difference is you're not enslaved to it. Can you go back and be stupid and harden your heart? Yes, you will do that frequently. But you are not enslaved to it, if Christ indeed has saved you. What about um, not believing in God? All you could do as an unbeliever was be enslaved to unbelief. That's all you could do. But there is only one kind of Christian who is not enslaved to unbelief, and it is the dead one who is with Christ. And so if your expectation is to think that you must no longer ever deal with unbelief and you should just be able to trust the God in difficult situations, um, you're going to be very um, perplexed. Now you should long for that. I'm not saying don't long for it. Long for the day when you will not ever wrestle with disbelief again. But what's the difference between what you are now compared to what you were before Christ saved you? What's the difference? You're not a slave to unbelief will you at times on your own on purpose choose to not trust in the lord as a christian yes but you're not a slave to it if christ indeed has saved you and is uh, is it ever a believer's is does a believer ever sometimes try to put on some external religious practice to make things look like it's good so that the lips sound like we're near to god Do, you ever done that Nothing to see here inside, listen to my lips, near to God, talking about religious things. Very close, look at my religious, do do believers ever do that? Yes. What's the difference between that and what you might have been as a religious person before Christ? You're not a slave to that kind of thinking in doing that. Um, The only person who has an external practice of religion that is consistent with the internal practice of religion is the one who's in heaven. Okay? Okay so you're in a fight. So there's the differences. We can still harden our hearts. We can still fall into unbelief at times, um, where we will not trust the Lord in specific situations. And we're still capable of having our hearts be far from God while our lips make it sound like we were just in his presence. Okay. Now let me give you five comforting truths. These go quick. All right. And I want you to see God's interaction with the heart from beginning to end. And here's the gospel, guys. Here's the good news. Here's God overcoming hardness of heart. Here's God overcoming slowness of heart to believe. Here is God dispelling foolishly offensive self-made religion from the heart. He's scattering all of that away at the cross and the empty tomb of his son. God creates a new inner man that is set free from the slavery of those old things. Number one, God enlightens darkened hearts to know Christ. God enlightens darkened hearts to know Christ. Go to Second Corinthians chapter four, verse five. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse five. Some great words from the Apostle Paul. He says, "Therefore, we do not preach ourselves, but we cr- preach Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as um, am I doing the right ones? Yeah. Verse five, and our, um, ourselves as your bond servants for Jesus' sake." And here is what we want to look at for God, who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts, in our inner man to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God enlightens dark hearts to know Christ. If God shines into our hearts in order to give spiritual enlightenment, that means that the heart was in darkness before it needed light right? It was in darkness. Well, what kind of light power or power light is needed uh, to do that, to take a darkened heart, a darkened inner man and bring light to it. It's none other than creator light. When he says in verse six, for God, let me tell you the God who does this, the God who has shown in our hearts. Let me tell you which God that is who has shown in our hearts. He's the one who said light shall shine out of darkness. When he was creating and all there was was darkness and he just spoke and he said light and there it was that's powerful that kind of God is a powerful God who can speak into existence that which did not exist before it takes that kind of God it takes that kind of power light or light power to penetrate a heart that is darkened in sin and that's what God did to save you. He said, light will shine in your dark hearts, just like when he spoke light into existence in the past. Only God, the creator's light power, could overcome the darkness of our hearts. That's how formidable darkness of sin is in your hearts. That's how impenetrable it is. That's how devastating it is. That's how bad it is. It takes a God who creates stuff out of nothing to get rid of it. Praise God that he doesn't wait for us in our darkened minds or darkened hearts to turn on some kind of light ourselves. He doesn't wait for you to do that. You can't. He doesn't. That is a comforting truth. That is the kind of God we have. He enlightens dark hearts to know Christ. Here's another comforting truth. Number two, God cleanses hearts through faith. God cleanses hearts through faith. Let's go back to Acts chapter 15, verses 6 to 11. This is the council at Jerusalem. There is a threat to the gospel after Paul's first missionary journey. Acts chapter 15, verse 6. The gospel is being threatened because there are some Jews... Who are saying, no, the Gentiles have to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses. and If they don't do that, they can't be saved. They're adding a, a work to salvation. So verse 6, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. Hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. We're Jews, they're Gentiles. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we... Um, are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. God cleanses hearts through faith. It doesn't matter if you were a Jew or if you were a Gentile. It doesn't matter what your nationality is, what your ethnicity is. Your heart today, as just a man before Christ, is filthy, was filthy, and it was in need of cleansing. And God is the one who will do it. It says that God cleansed their hearts. He is the one who cleansed their hearts by faith. Verse 9. Matthew 15 made it clear that what self-religion does for the heart, right? What does self-religion do for your heart? Nothing. The only way that you can have the heart be fixed or cleansed is through God's cleansing. And how does God cleanse the heart? Verse 9. He cleansed their hearts by faith. Faith is that great act of looking away from yourself in order to entirely entrust yourself to God. I love the way that Jonathan Edwards described faith. He called it venturing your all on Christ, casting yourself in all that you know of yourself upon all that you know of Christ. And that is grace. Verse 11, we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. As long as you remain, listen guys, as long as, as you remain in a heart condition where you're unwilling to look away from yourself to trust somebody else, as long as, see this is what the Pharisees did, they, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And so as long as you're in a condition where you will trust yourself, you will add self-made religious things to your life. You'll you'll make up new rules and you'll bring them to your life and you'll be satisfied that your religious practice is will... Be pleasing to the lord you're trusting in your own ability to do that as long as you stay in that condition you will never be saved because the only way that the heart becomes cleansed is by looking away from yourself and casting yourself in faith upon god and then that's cleansing that comes from god that requires the work of god on your behalf for by grace you have been saved through faith and that Is not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. It's not as a result of works, so that no man should boast, right? God cleanses hearts through faith. It's a comforting truth. Number three, God frees the heart from sin to become obedient. God frees the heart from sin to become obedient. Let's go to Romans 6. We have a series, um, it's on our website, where Smed and I went through Romans chapter 6 years ago. I can't remember how long ago it was. Six years ago, maybe. Was that what it was? Oh, eight, we did it. Wow. Um, You can listen to that series um, and let that be a a help to understanding what Paul's teaching is in in Romans 6. Let's take a look at verses 17 and 18. This is... God freeing the heart from sin to become obedient. Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So did Christ set you free? In what sense did Christ set you free? He did. Free from what? Slavery to sin. And and is it true that you're, in another sense, not free now? Yes, you're a slave. Does God have a category for a human being to be free in the sense that you're free from sin and you're also free from God, entirely autonomous and free? No. There's no category for a human being to be that way. Adam was not that way, even. Um, to a degree um when god saves a sinner the first place he goes to work on is the heart you became obedient from the heart verse 17 to that form of teaching to which you were committed you see that's where the bondage to sin exists the hardness and slowness to believe is there the quickness to establish self-made religion is there that's where it's nurtured by the grace of god your heart was able though to hear another voice speaking to you um, over the voice of your old master which is sin you could hear god's voice Uh, before christ you you could only hear one voice speaking to you and that is the voice of sin your slave master commanding you but by god's grace he switched your heart's allegiance he enlightened your heart he cleansed your heart by faith And you now have found obedience to God from your heart to be possible. I love this in verse 17. Thanks be to God that, watch this, though you were slaves, you became obedient from the heart. You used to be a slave to sin, and now you have become obedient. And you have become obedient to that which you you were committed, the the truth that you had heard that had been taught to you. What a comforting truth. to us that um, God frees the heart from sin so that we can become obedient to him. Number four, Christ makes himself at home in our hearts by faith. Christ makes himself at home in our hearts through faith. Go to Ephesians chapter three. I love this passage. This is a great one. It's shocking. in all of the right and good ways, I hope. Christ makes himself at home in hearts by faith. Here's Paul's second prayer in the book of Ephesians. Verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Wow, that's an amazing prayer, a very lofty prayer that we need to pray more prayers like that for ourselves. We're we're focusing in on verse 17 there, so that um, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, who's he writing to? Ephesians, who are believers in Jesus Christ already. Right? Verse 16, I'm praying that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory that for you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. His spirit is in you and needs to strengthen you believers. Why, for a purpose, so that you believers, being strengthened in your inner man, so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. What's the, what's the thought that keeps coming into your mind? I, I thought that was already true, that Christ already did dwell in my heart when I believed upon, you know, at 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 at, faith, at the first time I, I believed savingly. So and. So what is, this, what is he calling believers to do? What, what, is, it, what is this he's calling uh, to believers? This is beyond conversion into the new creature in Christ. This is into your Christian life. This in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is not the original indwelling of Christ at conversion that is being described here. We are not to pray that that would occur. That has already occurred. We are to pray for a richer and deeper practical indwelling of Christ in our lives. This may dwell, that this verb here in verse 17, that Christ may dwell, it's an intensified word for dwelling. It's, it's taking a, a Greek verb and it's adding on to the front of it a, a preposition. Um, and, and what that does is that just intensifies the dwelling In other words, they would use this word not for a temporary dwelling, like somebody setting up a tent for a moment and then moving on, Um, but rather it is a a feeling very much at home kind of dwelling. Um, You can dwell in a hotel room, and then you can dwell in your house. Um, Two very different kinds of dwelling going on. One much more intense than another. That's what he's saying. That Jesus needs to have an ever-increasing, intensified dwelling in you, believer. You need to be strengthened in your inner man by the Spirit so that he can do that. That's my prayer for you, Paul says. That's my prayer for believers. That Christ would have a greater, intensified dwelling in your, in your life. Let me give you a, a sense of how this word is used. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. What about this, this verb for dwelling? Watch this in verse 19 of Colossians 1. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. So all the fullness of what God is. It was His pleasure that all of the fullness of what God is would dwell in Jesus. Look at um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So all of the fullness of what God is, is dwelling intensely, in an intensified way, in Jesus. The the fullness of God's godness really, 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 really feels at home in Jesus. That's what he's saying. The godness of God had no trouble dwelling in Jesus. It loved to dwell there, wanted to dwell there, did it so intensely. So how at home is God's godness in Jesus? Very much at home. That's the way Christ's practical indwelling is to be like within me and within you. Like his original indwelling came by faith through grace alone, this practical indwelling also comes by or through faith. Back in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That is not the first saving faith. That is an ongoing, continuing trust in Christ in your life and the more that you are trusting in him the more intensified his indwelling becomes in you Christ makes himself at home in your heart by faith we're not talking about conversion we're talking about your Christian living and then lastly number five Christ establishes hearts without blame in holiness Christ establishes hearts without blame and holiness. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. This is a wish of Paul, a prayer of Paul, a desire of Paul for the Thessalonians. He was with them at most about three months. He was separated away from them, and then he wanted to find out how they were doing, so he sent Timothy to them. And now that Timothy has come to him, he is so comforted. Um, and in verse 11, this is what he prays Now may our God and father himself and Jesus, our Lord, direct our way to you and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you for this purpose, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. So that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. He wants to make their hearts strong, established, settled. And it need, they need to be settled in that way without blame. That's to say it negatively or to say it positively. They must be settled in holiness, verse 13. Where do those hearts, those inner, the inner man of these believers need to be settled like that without blame and in holiness? Well, it's going to be before God our Father. Well, when will that be? When Jesus comes with all of his saints. And the only way you get there is by being now somebody who loves one another verse 12 that you'd be an increasingly loving man so what this is looking forward to is your glorification that is tied to christ's presence which will usher you in then into the presence of god the father so get this we started with conversion way back with enlightening the heart cleansing the heart through faith God freeing the heart from sin to be able to be obedient. We then moved our way into the Christian life where Christ would make himself at home in the heart all the way to the end where Christ would actually establish your heart for the day that's coming. When he comes, he will usher you into the presence of God his Father and your inner man will be settled and established before God. What has Jesus and God and the Spirit not done for your heart? have done it all. God enlightened your heart. God cleansed your heart. God freed your heart. Christ is making himself at home in your heart. Christ establishes your heart for future glorification. Listen, guys, the gospel is all about what God does to create a new heart, to create a new creature, a new condition. What were your hearts without Christ. They were hard. They were unbelieving. And they were eager to be religious without God. And this is what God had to do to change your heart. um, And to secure in you a heart all the way to the end. He had to enlighten you, cleanse you, free you, make himself at home in you, and establish your heart for a day that is yet to come. How much attention has God paid to your heart? It's amazing. How much attention are we paying to our own hearts? If God is that concerned, and that focused, and that driven, and that given over to giving your heart what you need, our our job the rest of our days is to give the same attention to our inner man that god has given to it he's still giving attention to it he wants christ to dwell in your hearts through faith in a richer and deeper way he's still preparing your heart even today for the day when christ comes and you will be ushered into the presence of god the father so you can stand there in hearts established he's still laboring in your life at the heart level we cannot be men who neglect our hearts god is not neglecting your hearts And so what we want to be about and build is we want to be about um, letting this be a, a ministry that would help you become disciplined to develop a spiritual discipline of caring for your heart with the word of God. That on a daily basis you would be disciplined to bring your inner man to bear on this and bring it to bear on your heart. So that you can change, so that you can become more and more what God wants you to be, so that you can be more and more ready for that day when he will usher you into his presence. Um, So what we want to try to do, our our goal for the men of the church, is that we invite any man in the church to be a part of Build who professes Christ as his Savior and has made Grace Bible Church's home. Um, We want that man in here so that he can become this kind of man who will care for his heart. We want to call all of the men of the church to unify around this spiritual discipline. If you become this kind of man who cares well for your own heart with the word of God, God will add to your life spiritually everything else that is needed. It may not, you may not get everything God wants you to have that, uh, that you think you should have, You may not become the great spiritual hope for the American evangelical church that maybe you might dream of wanting to be. But you will be given everything that you must have to be able to have the spiritual influence that God wants you to have if you discipline yourself by His grace to be this kind of man who cares well for his heart. If you don't care well for your own heart, nothing good will come. Because of indwelling sin in your life. You will flounder. You will make no progress. There will be disappointment and discouragements. It will be difficult to live with you in your home. And your ministry will be cut short of what it should be or could be. And so what we want to do is, is labor together side by side as men in the church. And say, men, let's, did you fall down this week in caring for your heart with the word of God? I understand. Now get back up. Get up, and we're not going to mess around anymore. Let's go. Get up. Let's go. Let's walk. Let's help each other. Let's encourage each other. Um, We need each other. We're not out here waiting for each one of you to battle your own battle and just waiting for you to fall so that we can all cheer. That's ridiculous. We don't want to shoot our own that way. We want to help each other. We're all together in the trenches of this world waiting for Jesus to come back, taking the gospel behind enemy lines, and we need to be a certain kind of men as we do that. Let's help each other one step after another step after another step to seek his face in his word so that our hearts can be changed more and more to be what God desires them to be. That's what we're after, okay? Thank you guys so much for being a part of BUILD. Let's, um, let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we um, confess to you our great need for you. Lord, even when we read our Bibles, oftentimes I I find myself reading and and my mind is far, far away. I can read it in a way that um, is evident that I'm, I'm not concerned to bring my heart into an engagement with you in it. Oh Lord, we are just harassed by sin at every point that indwells us. And Lord, but what we want to do is we want to trust you that um, what you have saved us into, into a condition that can still be entangled by sin, but is not enslaved by sin. We want to trust you that you knew what you were doing when you saved us. And that you have given to us every resource that we need. We have everything pertaining to life and godliness that we need. Your word is sufficient for us. And the fellowship that we have with one another in all this, is a part of helping us to be encouraged and to sometimes be admonished for the way that we have been neglectful. Oh Lord, would would you help us to make use of all of these things? Help us to make use of your word. Help us to make use of prayer. Help us to make use of fellowship and friendship with one another, so that we can shepherd the, our hearts well. Lord, help us even today, just today. You've given today. You haven't given us a whole nother week yet. You've given us today, though. Today, Lord, may we not neglect our hearts. May, our, may the care that we give to our hearts rise a little bit higher to look something like the care that you give to our hearts. Lord, would you be with each man? Would you, the man who feels the conviction of this, that he is not what he should be. Lord, would you comfort him? The man who needs to be warned this morning and needs to be admonished. Lord, would you do that by your word and by your spirit? And Lord, may we help each other when we're weak. Uh, God, help us to come alongside one another. We desperately, desperately need you. And we offer ourselves up to you afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for coming. We'll see you in two weeks. You guys are dismissed.